Evans. And I'm Ashton Law. And this is Disrupt the Media, a podcast about disability in the media. Hey, Ashton, what's going on? Hey, like nothing, just, you know, hanging out, doing podcasts and stuff. Yeah. So what are you up to? Um, this podcast. I mean, like, I mean, like work wise, what are you up to in terms of? Um, well, I just wrote a short film and now I'm writing a longer film, which would be called a feature. Right. Possibly two. So. Possibly two feature films. Yeah, possibly. If all goes well, there'll be a bunch. I have to say, though, I'm really kind of in love with TV more, which is weird because it seems like when I'm totally into one visual medium, I end up somehow writing the other one. Yeah. Yeah. But I think ultimately that's where we want to go is we want to eventually tell stories in television because I think there's a greater ability to tell a much more I don't want to say thorough because you can have really great films but you can explore the the story a lot deeper when you have you know 20 episodes as opposed to one Mm -hmm. two and a half hour movie and if you write really cool characters that gives you more time to you know be with them and you know give them stories and things to do and flesh them out and in ways that it's really hard to do in just a couple hours right right we were recently speaking to a disabled actress about how we don't want to be seen as the disabled filmmakers you know and it's not about not wanting to be seen as disabled but it's about this idea that disability is something that is you know um disability is specifically um like all that that the character is you're a plot device that that revolves around disability when really my life is just way much more than being disabled. It it may influence how I look at the world in terms of physical access or even, you know, how I relate to people on an emotional level or things like that, but it's not my whole life. And when we see stories about disability in film and television, we generally tend to see stories that have disability as the focal point. Yes, that's that's correct. Yeah, but we don't want to make projects where that's all we do. Everything is just disability. The plot couldn't exist without disability in it because we want to tell stories that include disabled people that really focus on the fact that our lives are as parents and uh, siblings, children, you know, we're all of these things. We're best friends, we're lovers, we're teachers, we're doctors, we're artists, you know, and we don't really see these kind of things explored because every story we see about disability is disabled. It has to be so limiting. Like, okay, I'm going to write a story about a person with a disability. Then everything has to be, essentially everything has to be about that disability. And, you know, 
things can only happen in that plot if the it relates to the disability or if it's possible because of the disability or whatever. I just, I can't imagine writing something that way. And I can't imagine why anyone would think it was a good idea. I know that people think it's marketable or that they're helping people out, but I mean, it's really none of those things. <laughs> well, I think it comes down to non-disabled people assuming that... Um, our lives are nothing more than feeling sorry for ourselves or not being happy with ourselves or hating ourselves. Well, or, occasionally you, know, you also get to rise above all of that and become inspiration. Right. So there's that too. <laughs> right, right. But that they think our stories, our lives are really nothing more than these ideas that are stereotypes. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm still worrying about whether I have toilet paper to wipe my butt like everybody else, you know, um, or if I'm going to have money for food on the table, or if I'm going to be able to pay my cable bill or my rent, you know, those are all things that a lot of disabled people worry about and think about. And, you know, if we're parents, we're not necessarily thinking about, oh, God, this or that about my disability. We're thinking about, do we have to pick up the kids? If we can't do that, who's going to take them? Um, So basically disabled people are people and they worry about people things. Right, right. So we really need to get to the point where, and and this goes back to just just diverting a little bit um, to people constantly telling me that um, if we say that only disabled people can play disabled roles, then that means that um, they can't play any other roles. This goes back to what people view as disabled roles. The only disabled roles in Hollywood that we see are characters that are defined by their disability. I mean, even something like Speechless, where you have a disabled actor playing the role, it's about a disabled person, you know, and they do have those stories that don't necessarily revolve around his disability, but um, if he wasn't disabled, would it be the same story? They couldn't even call it speechless, you know, unless that it was someone who didn't verbally speak. But then again, people would be asking, you know, is that because of a disability? Are they just choosing not to speak? You know, the disability makes that story, you know? Um, And so when we say what is a disabled role, we need to change the idea of what disabled roles are. To me, I'm not looking at disabled roles as, okay, you have to play the guy in Me Before You or My Left Foot or any film that's marketed as a disability movie. And that's the sad place Hollywood is. A disabled role is that guy, you know, usually a white cisgender male, um, occasionally a woman. But if you're anything but white, good luck. You know, you're usually a background player. Um, but, you know, so so to me, this is a false equivalency because disabled roles to me are not just disabled. You know, the disabled role for me is, okay, we need 
five lawyers, why not have one with a disability? Because I know TK Small, he's a lawyer. I know Carrie Ann Lucas, she's a lawyer. I know Emily Munson, she's a lawyer. You know, on and on. I know all these disabled people and their lawyers, you know. Um, and um, so why can't we have why can't that be a disabled role and why can't roles not necessarily be being written as disabled be um offered to disabled actors you know voice acting is a great it's ripe for disabled talent oh yeah why are why are disabled people not being hired? If you're worried about having disabled people do stunts and all the other BS we hear Hollywood say they won't cast us for, why are you not also including us in roles where you just have to basically speak the role? You know, there are some disabled actors who might not be able to do that role, but there are plenty of actors who could be the next voice of Batman, but we don't get that opportunity. So I think that we're limiting what we see as disabled roles. And I don't think you can say, well, if, if disabled people are the only people that play disabled roles, then therefore um, disabled people won't be able to play other roles because that's not what disabled roles really should be. I mean, uh, I agree. I mean, it's it's it seems so silly. I guess I guess that's the difference between having a disability and not having a disability. But when people are like, oh, well, you know, only if only disabled people play disabled people, then, you know, that's it. But disabled people, I mean, like you said, you know, their parents, their um, doctors and lawyers and all kinds of different things, you know. So, yeah, I guess they can only play disabled people, but they're, you know, they're themselves, they're regular parts. Right. Right. So today we're doing something a little different. We're going to be talking to ourselves because apparently we think we are so great that you'll want to listen to us for an hour. And I'm really sorry if you don't think we're this great, but, you know, suck it up. We're, you, you can turn us off as you, if you really don't want to listen to us. We, we so. have better episodes coming up that's more not us. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think we're cool enough to listen to a little bit. Yeah. I mean, I hope. So we're going to talk about what we're watching on television, if it has anything to do with disability, and if it does, you know, our thoughts on that. So um, why don't you get started with uh, what's one of the things you're watching that you want to talk about? Um, This is so funny because I knew we were doing this episode, and I'm like, so what am I watching that has disability? in it and for like a second I just had to like you know think about it like obviously they're silent witness but I'm trying to stick with more like American stuff because I know like a lot of her huh why, why stick with well, American stuff? it seems stuff? like the UK has better X and I don't know if this is true but it seems like the people that I know in the UK uh, get our stuff faster than we get their stuff so you know I mean I I guess I don't know how many people watch or listen to this in different countries, but 
I assume that more people are going to be familiar with more American television. Although I do love Silent Witness. And I have to say, one of the last episodes was um, the holiday episode. And Clarissa is my favorite character. And it's so funny because, like, I love the scenes where she's just basically doing, like, nothing. Like, she's just doing regular, everyday junk that you wouldn't, you know. She doesn't have to be doing not anything. Really nothing, but like, what? Well, she's not really doing nothing. No, in this particular it, scene, she's she's got, like, her... Um, her pajamas on and she's getting ready for the holiday dinner. So she's like chopping right. celery or something, you know, like just, I don't know what she's chopping, but she's chopping something and she gets a call and she's got to go to work, you know, and her husband's like, well, what am I going to do? You're not going to be here. She's like, um, put the turkey in the oven. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's just like such an average, like, you know, thing but it was like really funny you but could, she's always she's always the wittiest one so I felt like that fit too and but. that comes from Liz being a comedian yes you know um, they really kind of embrace the fact that she this is not the most comedic show out there <laughs> nor um, should it be right I mean right but oh you know and and um when we talked to Liz, we forgot to ask her about how she's always eating. Yeah. So, Liz, if you're listening, you know, we wanted to ask you about that. Liz is always eating. And, you know, I, I asked her on Facebook. I said, you know, Liz, you're always eating. Um, and you wanted to know, do people send her food? <laughs> and occasionally she does get food. So That's another thing I thought was funny, because, you know, when she's in the lab, she's always got, you know, a muffin or a cookies or something going on. And then they finally put her in a scene where she's at home and she's making food. Right. Right. <laughs> well, apparently the message is that if you're disabled and doing forensic work, then you really like food. A well-rounded diet is very important, no matter who you are. Right. So. <laughs> right. But, you know, um, yeah, Silent Witness, they had a big disability story. We have an entire episode with Liz, so I don't want to get too far into that just because, you know. Yeah, that was, that was my thinking. Right. And the only other show, like, internationally-wise that I could think of would be Wentworth. And while I love that, there's some issues and, yeah. you know. Well, and you also watch Call the Midwife, but I haven't seen that yet. I do, but I'm very mad at Call the Midwife right now. Why? I'm very, I'm very mad at it. Because for the last few seasons or series they've had they have this character and I love her and she's like so amazing her name's Patsy and she's a lesbian and they show her and her girlfriend together kind of hiding their relationship and they go through all of these things and at the at the end of the last series spoiler alert they finally kiss and they're outside and it's kind of like you know i'm so glad that we're back together again and it doesn't matter who sees us and whatever and now they're just they're off they wrote them off the show they're gone wow and they they were just phenomenal as like a couple and as separate characters and and it's really frustrating because, you know, so often lesbians or bisexuals or 
killed off or or they find a way to get rid of them so now they had this seemingly functional relationship and it's just like now nah, we're done with that we're gonna move on that sucks <laughs> yeah so i'm i'm kind of mad at that yeah so so what else have you been watching lately? I um one one thing that I do watch that shows disability often in a way that makes me want to punch somebody in genitals is The Flash. I love The Flash. I love mm-hmm. Grant Gustin. I love all the people on The Flash except the people that show up and play disabled villains and they're always terrible and the stories are ridiculous and it's very upsetting. Joe West. Joe West. I love Joe West in so many ways. He's amazing, and I think he's fabulous. But I don't love DeVoe or right. DeVoe's wife or any of the people that end up being the new incarnation of DeVoe. They're all terrible. Yeah, all of them. All of them. I mean, the new iteration into the female version of DeVoe. Her acting was great until she became DeVoe and then it's like It's like they all have to become these smarmy kind of like weird sexual indoendo-y you know and it's like no just quit. Well it's already a horrible disability flawed character anyway and this is my problem with The Flash is that it seems like all of their villains are disabled. Why? <laughs> Not that flash, you know? Why? And yeah. This is a problem I have with Greg Bertolucci or whatever his name is, Bertolini. What? I don't know how to say his last name. You know who I'm talking about. Yes. yes. Bertoli or, you know, there is Bertoli the pasta. CW superhero shows. Right, right. Um, he doesn't his shows don't feature disability in a positive way that's why we actually stopped watching Arrow Arrow had all kinds of other problems um and but when Felicity became disabled that was it just her whole storyline was offensive all three and a half episodes of her disability why make her disabled if you're gonna hear her three episodes the thing that was so ridiculous about that is that in three and a half episodes she went through every range of emotion that someone that's newly disabled is supposed to have like she couldn't believe it was gonna happen and she fumbled over things and she got mad that she was disabled and then she was suddenly cool with it but oh wait here Right. As soon as she started accepting it, she got cured. So it had no real impact on disabled people other than and, the and yet, it was kind of great that it was over because it was so bad that, that you didn't really want it to go on anymore. You know. So yeah. Yeah, but on the flash, you know, we had we had scarred open quote close quote deformed Barry um, you know who was um, last season's enemy you know and that was just so silly yeah I mean I burnt my face so I have to be a villain because nobody loves me and like dude come on and this season I just like who sits in a writer's room and is like okay we need a villain so Let's make him so smart 
that his brain works so fast that his body fails him and he becomes disabled because of that. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Right. And let's compare it to something. That's the big thing, um, you know, that um, that they do, you know, um, ever since the AS, ALS um, bucket challenge, they've made... Um, They've basically made um, all these disabilities about, you know, um, about um, ALS. Sorry about that. Like, like they compare it that, oh, his body's deteriorating faster than ALS. You know, ALS has become like the go-to disability to pretend to have that. Nobody really does any real work into studying and figuring out what ALS really is. You know, I can't remember what I was watching, but somebody was like... I have ALS and and something else that affects you like um like in something like down syndrome or whatever and those were the two those were the quote unquote two symptoms of their disability and I'm looking at this and I'm like ALS and Down syndrome. I can't even think about what it was. Yeah, like ALS is like, or or they said their disability was like ALS meets Down syndrome. And I'm just thinking like, seriously? Yeah, I can't remember what that, what I was watching that did that, but it was just like. I feel like it's so infuriating though, because I feel like, like there are little parts in the flash that make me think that the writers think that they're doing the right thing. Like they're promoting like a positive message. Like when DeVoe's wife always gets upset when he changes bodies and the new body is always like, Oh, but I'm still me. This is just a physical manifestation. It's just a form and it's still me inside. Like, I feel like that's them thinking that they're promoting a positive message, but it still sucks. Well, there was this story and some people say it's a hoax and some people say it's real, but it's there's a story about this person that has muscular dystrophy and they want to have a brain, their brain transplanted in another person so they can live as a quote unquote normal person. Is this is real? what Yeah, this is what DeVoe reminds me of. This idea. Yeah. I feel like somebody was reading this story and was like, oh, that would make a cool villain in the flash. They probably found it on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they do this. They did this with Wells. They did this with Savitar. You know, um, well, it, Wells was faking being disabled. That's another classic cop-out, you know. Right, We're going right. to make sure that he'll pretend to be disabled, but, you know, we don't have to get an actual disabled actor, so, because he's just faking. Yeah. But, you know, like, Wells was a good actor. Like, I liked the character of Wells. Like, he was a jerk and, like, doing all the stuff. And, you know, it was the first season, so it wasn't like... But now we're on, like, season, like, five. And every villain is still somehow disabled or faking disabled or hates disabled. You know, it's like... We're five seasons in. You gotta have to have a new thing. <laughs> you know? Right. So, what else are you watching, Ash? Um, let's see. 
Um, I'm watching um, one thing I am watching that I really like, and I don't really feel like it has a big disability representation, but it's still amazing is black lightning. I really like that a lot. And speaking of um, people of color and disabilities, one thing that I'm really upset is that um, underground was canceled. I loved yeah. that show so much. It was so amazing. And, well, and that no networks would pick it up. It had a built-in audience. Yeah. It yeah. did really. And if you haven't, you should check out check out our underground show to talk to um, you know, Melissa Thompson and Nate Johnson and Kia Brown, because we had them for that that episode to talk about the show um, and what it meant to them as disabled um, Black women um, and and how powerful that representation, how important that representation was. Um, So... Yeah, but I haven't watched Black Lightning yet. It is next on my list. I just haven't gotten I, to it. I really like it. And I was like with all new shows, I kind of have I go in with this kind of like apprehension and I get like afraid that I'm going to like something too much and then it's going to be canceled. But I just um, found out that it's got like a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's I think it's one of the highest rated CW shows. The flip. Last I checked, The Flash was number one. As of when we're recording, um, it it was number, The Flash was number one and Black Lightning was number two for all the CW shows. Well, that's certainly hopeful then. So, yeah. (laughs) The CW um, often gives shows a chance because, you know, speaking of shows that feature disability, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend has some of the lower ratings, but um, it it has it fits a niche and it has a audience of devoted followers that are going to keep it, tuning in it so does. despite being one of the lower rated shows on the CW um well and usually shows that make it to the third season sail into their fourth season um so there's a good chance that crazy ex-girlfriend will get a fourth season well, but, I certainly um, hope so given the the way things were left you know right so <laughs> I think if crazy ex-girlfriend is getting a fourth season black lightning should definitely get a second season yeah that's uh, like I said I hope so I mean I don't see with it being rated as high as it is and and critics liking it and and whatnot I don't see why they wouldn't but you never know I mean right right so Let's talk about Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Okay. So, So, I'll be honest. Originally, before I started watching it, I didn't want to watch it because I thought it was going to be this horrible show about some girl that was clingy and, and, you know, couldn't let a relationship go and, and, and all that. And then in some instances, there are, there are, it's uh, supposed to look like it's about that, but it's, it's about so much more. Right, and, right. It really is. And if I wouldn't have given it a shot, I would have never found that out. And I'm glad I did because I've become a huge fan, which is so odd because it's not really like anything I feel like I would normally watch. 
yeah. but at the same time it's it's managed to really suck me in and I walk around singing their songs and I love their characters and you know so yeah so I this is totally up my alley a lot of people listening probably don't know that I'm a huge Broadway nerd uh-huh you know you know it yeah given my background um, for those who are listening I was a child actor mainly in stage so I spent most of my early years studying singing and movement and performing in shows many of them Broadway shows both um, at school but also in my community and you know at at other theaters so um, you know a Broadway my my big problem with um, most shows that feature singing is that you know and nothing against Julianne Ho but I always kind of feel like the shows that have singing are like a Julianne Ho love fest and she's <laughs> she's a decent actor but she's not I don't feel like she's that strong of a singer at least not like Broadway wise and I'm sorry if you're Julianne Ho fans lifting this is just my opinion that though like you know back in in the early days of cinema you had to know how to sing and how to dance and how to act and you had to do all these things and then at some point some people became really good at acting but maybe they weren't as good as singing but they're still cast in those roles Right, you know, well, so. there's really nothing like this on television. Um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend really kind of brought the musical back to screens, and in this case, to television. And I wanted to watch this show, but you know, the premise of a crazy ex-girlfriend as someone who has psychiatric diagnosis. Um, you know, I didn't want it to be one of those shows. I also didn't really know that Rachel Bloom had spoken out about having experiences with her own mental health diagnosis and uh-huh. um, problems she had growing up. Um, she has OCD and anxiety and sleep anxiety and depression. And, you know, um, I feel like this show would not be as powerful if it were for someone who has experienced these things being in the writing room. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I can, I can see where you would like it though, because I mean, I feel like you have a lot in common and I don't want to say a lot in common with like Rebecca, but like, I do. You do kind of like she's like musically speaking, she's she does all the Broadway references and whatnot. And I feel like I'm more like Paula, where I never understand half of what you're talking about. Well, I I've kind of got you into wanting to watch musicals. It's taken 15 years in our relationship. Yeah, I figure after 15 years, I should know what you're talking about. So, (laughs) but, you know, um, yeah, I'm definitely a lot more like Rebecca. I hope I'm not as... I don't want to say she's vindictive because I feel like Rebecca... 
I don't want to say also she's not in control of her actions either. She but is unintentionally a- self-involved. Yeah, yeah, and um, I I don't feel like I'm as much unintentionally self-involved, but I do have the history of familial problems, um, having an overbearing mother who, you know, on some levels is abusive. Some of the things she's done to Rebecca, like, you know, forcing her to take laxatives and um, before prom and making her so concerned about her weight. You know, mm-hmm. I have severe body issue, body image it body image issues ah that's hard to say um because uh my mother would tell me things like i'm just trying to make you beautiful um you know so you do all these things to my body to quote unquote make me beautiful which to me said to me well you don't think i'm beautiful right. so obviously i must not be beautiful and this was a message that was banged into me for years and years so um on on that standpoint i I've, I've been abused by my mother. Right. Um, I mean, she wouldn't say that she abused me, but I think all of us who have either seen it or experienced it would say that right. definitely um, a lot of what I've dealt with in terms of mental health stems from the isolation, the the feelings of not loving myself or feeling like as a disabled person, uh, that was the other thing. I didn't try hard enough if I couldn't do something physically. So blaming myself for my body's failings was also a lot of things. And I think Rebecca kind of embody, um, embodies this idea that... Uh, her mother kind of put all these insecurities into her head, which kind of led to, you know, feeling depressed or, you know, having this kind of skewed view on relationships. um, And when you know, when you know more about her mother and the relationship they have kind of uh, like so many of the things that she does make sense because, you know, failure isn't really an option. So whether it's her relationship or or her work or whatever, she's, you know, once she's fixated on something, she has to do whatever she has to do to meet that end goal because nothing else is acceptable. Yeah. And and I'm very much like that. Um, I have OCD. Yeah. And when I get focused on something... Uh, would you say you can change my mind uh, easily? No, it's just easier to give in, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm very, I'm very narrow minded in that. So, like, for, for that, those aspects, what? <laughs> I just laughed because, you know. Yeah. I thought you said, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, but no, those, those things about Rebecca are relatable. And, um, you know, I'm obviously going to want people to know that we're going to be talking about suicide on this episode, um, you know, because some people may find this a little sensitive. So giving everybody a heads up and there will be 
content warnings before this episode too um but the suicide i tried to kill myself when i was 19 Mm -hmm. i've never felt anything relatable to that experience when i'm watching things but her suicide attempt was the most realistic view of suicide i've seen in media yeah it was was incredibly well done and you you know how i told you because i watched ahead of you um it took me a little while to get you to kind of that that's me being stubborn again to get you kind of watching this show but um when you when i told you about the show i was like look get through the first two seasons because the third season is really where this story begins and you would agree with that you know it's like a totally different everything about the two first two seasons makes sense in retrospect once you get to the third season yeah yeah i mean the first and thank goodness for me the first season was very hard to watch and it was funny because i liked i like you know all the songs and I like, I mean, the acting is so well done and everything, but it's just like, you know, you spend a lot of time wanting to like strangle Rebecca, you know, in the first season. It's like, why are you doing this? He's not even worth it. Just move on. (laughs) Right. You know? Right. And like, it makes sense as you get into season two and then, you know, and then finally in season three, it all kind of comes to a head and it's, it's just you can't have season three without having all of these events that have happened. Yeah. Right. So. Right. It's kind of like you're watching a story as it unfolds. Cause that's what's happening. Right. And then, um, I feel like a lot of movies would start in season three and then show you the flashbacks through season one and two. That's what it kind of feels yeah. like. Like, um, if it was a movie, that's what would happen. Mm-hmm. But that the pinnacle of the story where everything really starts is, and, you know, another nice thing that's not really related to disability that I like about the show is that all of the background characters or the supporting characters kind of have their own stories, yeah. you know, um, yeah. even going as far as um, Danny Jollis, who we had on the show, who's George, you know, he develops this friendship with Nathaniel <laughs> and he kind of has a, ba- you know, he has a girlfriend. Uh, we have Valencia who has had an amazing transformation. You know, when you first like her, a lot of people didn't like her because she was, you think, oh, she's going to be the typical mean girl, but you know, she's evolved into this, um, mm-hmm queer character that you know she's friends with Rebecca and she does things for a certain reason as well but they all kind of make sense the more you learn about her I think I think that's one of the things that makes the show so great is that all of the characters you know they have whether you like them or not they have things that are both good and bad about them and like so often yeah. I feel like if you like a character they're just like great across the board and there's like no negative or if they're evil they're just all bad and there's nothing good about them but these characters are like right. they're like real people they're a real mixed bag you know right right 
So moving on, um, Speechless, I, I stopped watching it in the second season. You know, I've never seen an episode of Speech. Well, I, I saw one. I saw the one where JJ gets kissed. And, yeah, and that was really enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I know well, that, that that's not fair, but I'm very judgy with my TV. <laughs> That's the only excuse I I can give. Well, you know, and I've had people defending this saying, well, maybe kissing with your parents standing around is the only way he could get kissed. And I'm like, and then I start thinking of all of my disabled friends. No, we found ways. Okay. Not even that, though. I mean, they're in like a parking lot. Like, go in the store and buy some gum. Leave the kid alone. Okay. Right. You know, why right. do you got to be looking at well, him while he's doing it? Well, why do they also have to remove him from his wheelchair? Our wheelchairs are like our comfort zones because, well, for a lot of right. us, because they're made, they're supposed to be made for our bodies. They get us around. So they take JJ out of his wheelchair and they put him you know, on this thing. And he has to have someone there to support him. And I I would have been mortified, okay, as a teenager. Because whether I needed help or not, if I'm going to be kissing someone, you know. Right. I mean, you're, I'm not you're trying to get friends. your first kiss, you know. And he's also trying to sit up at the same time. Because, you know, he can only do it for like, I think they say in the episode, he can do it for like 45 seconds or something, you know. Yeah. I also feel like, I don't know if this was like, because I grew up in the 80s and 90s. um, But I feel like... I know some parents are super overprotective, but like leave JJ alone for a few minutes every once in a while. Cause well, like, I, I got the impression. And like I said, I've only seen this one episode, so I don't, I don't really know anything seriously about the whole th- series or anything, but like, I, I yeah. feel like they try to make it look like everybody lives vicariously through JJ like he's able to do these things that maybe i guess they think other disabled people don't do and he's he's the glue that holds their dysfunctional family together you know and i feel like that's just so much pressure to put on anybody much less you know yeah i also think that um i also think that this kind of is why i think it's both important to have writing that's more authentic and have it written and I know Zach Ainer is a part of the writing staff but I don't know if they're not letting him make a lot of the decisions for writing but I feel like you know season two has not been as good as season one in many and not to be like super judgy but like writers rooms have a lot of people in there (laughs) you know So, like, it's awesome if you have one person with a disability, but if you have 10 people in the room writing about a disabled character and one guy is disabled, I mean, that's not really good, statistically speaking. It's better than none, right? but, yeah. Right. Well, and the whole idea that... um, (laughs) 
this might be the only time he gets kissed, so we have to <laughs> drop everything and get him a kiss. Right. You know, um, these are the lies that disabled people hear and believe because of shows like this, you know. Um, and see, we for me, I was gallivanting around in my wheelchair with my best friend who was also in a wheelchair. We were raising hell in our town, you know, right. and um, I got my first kiss when I was 11 <laughs> behind my bedroom door by my best friend who was disabled because nobody believed that we would, you know, they didn't worry about us. They don't worry about the disabled kids. They needed to be worried about us because, you know, worried about you. Definitely. You know, we like every other kid, a lot of us have sex on the brain when we're that, age you know disabled or not you know and my whole thing from the time I was about 13 on was finding ways to express myself sexually because disabled people aren't seen as sexual so I got away with a lot because you know we were showing each other our you know I saw a penis when I was like 10 you know from another kid you know um, but like just because they don't they would assume that we're disabled and that you know we don't have these capabilities to want to be sexual and I felt like this episode kind of reinforced that idea that we gotta get the disabled guy his kiss Mm -hmm. because he's never gonna get one otherwise and also like okay where is where where are they supposed to be living like what where are they at California so they're this family and they don't have a lot of money they're kind of broke they got like what three or four kids right and we're gonna take our son driving around maybe Colorado to find this girl we don't know where she's at but we know she lives like across the country it was like in Arizona or something. Uh, I don't know why I thought New she was in Colorado. Anyway, but I, they they find her somewhere, and it's not too far from California. But I mean, just the idea that yeah. we're going to drive wherever we have to go to find you this girl to get you that kiss. Like, what bank are they a part of? I want a part of that bank because when I have no money, I just have no money. Well, and they're always talking about. JJ has equipment needs and blah 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 and. So for me, when when I'm traveling with my equipment needs, we just always can't hop in the car. We have to prepare and make sure we have access to uh, places that are accessible to stay along the way. It's, you know, unfortunately. But none, none of that's considered, really. Or at least it's not shown. But, I mean, right. if, if that's going to be the basis of your show, I feel like it should be shown a little yeah. bit. Well, we have spoken for almost an hour on disability in television um, and also what we're watching. We kind of delved in a little bit more than that. What do we want our listeners to do, Ashton? 
we want them to subscribe to our podcast and to rate it so that we know what they Please rate us five stars. The more ratings, the more subscriptions we get, the more we can keep making this podcast. And there's so much we can talk about. And Ashton and I will be talking more about our work as we get back into filmmaking. Yes, that's you've heard it here first. 2018, we have scripts in the work, in the works. Um, I'm working with a producer right now on a film, and I'm in post-production for another film that we started a couple years ago. So we'll be talking about that. Um, and um, it'd be great to do an episode on kind of our process for inclusion, because I think we you know, when people think inclusion, it's like, we're going to tell the story about Bob, who's disabled, and the story revolves around Bob accepting himself, or, you know, Bob wanting to kill himself, or Bob being an inspiration, you know, and that's not where we go with inclusion. Spoiler so. alert, we won't be writing anything about Bob this year. Yeah, no Bob in our stuff. Sorry, Robert. Robert's our son. So for those who don't know. He would also so. probably try to punch us if we called him Bob, so True. True. He doesn't so, like Bob either. So no one likes Bob, apparently. Unless it's Bob and his burgers. <laughs> Bob's burgers is good. Speaking, yeah, that's true. Speaking of disability representation, Tina for the win. Yep, Tina's definitely got some anxiety going on. Amongst other things. Yep. But yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, I'm Dominic Evans and I'm for <laughs> Funny. I'm Dominic Evans for Disrupt the Media. Join us next time.